do a miracle and we'll believe you. And he said, I'm not going to, he didn't say it like this, but he said, that really would be a colossal waste of your time. You're not going to believe me anyway. Now, what do you think about that? Um, Jesus knows how people are. He knows who people are. The Bible says in John 6, Jesus knew what was inside of a man. He knew how people think, and he knew that there was nothing uh, that he that even God could do to persuade people. People say God can do everything, and that's true, but the one thing God, if God were to force you to believe something, you really wouldn't believe it. You would just believe it under the threat of death or whatever. You really wouldn't believe it. So he made you to be able to choose whether to believe or not. Now, as far as the miracle stories go, here's what I would say to that. If you, had a prof- if you really had a professor that said this, I would say, I wish that, I, actually, I wish that professor were here not so that I could go, I'm going to tell you off and, you know, everybody's going to cheer for me and they're going to boo you. But I, I think it's important for us to enter into a conversation. Professor, first of all, I don't know what field he or she is in. I mean, is it an English professor that's saying, according to physics, you know, uh, I don't know. Um, but, it, you know, what we live in a universe in which we know very little. We know very little about this universe. And so, um, so we, we, first of all, we have a little humility, please. I mean, we have to tread carefully. And to say somebody walking on the water could never happen uh, is to say, I, have, I know everything there is to know about this universe and about the spiritual realm, and I have seen that it is, in fact, impossible. You don't know that. And you don't know that the universe actually uh, is, is not going to be invaded by the spiritual realm. You don't know that either. I would argue that the reason that we have a universe is because the spiritual realm creates it and upholds it. That's what the Bible says. Uh, the spiritual realm, God in particular, was first. And he made the, the natural realm without it having a beginning. And it didn't create itself. So, um, you know, you're left with that. Uh, So I would say that the most honest person is the person that is open to the universe in which such things can happen. Now, does that mean that God's just breaking the laws of the universe right and left? No, God doesn't make us live in a universe like that. Otherwise, you know, every time we, uh, you know, got out on the highway, we would say, you know, maybe God's going to break the laws of internal combustion and my car is just going to blow up all of a sudden on me. No, God makes, makes the universe operate in a certain way. But when he went out and stilled the, stilled the water, stilled the storm, when he healed a man's withered, withered arm, 
It's because Jesus created the universe and he knows how to make it go. You know, if you had um, a, a car, the best person to, to know something about that car is, is, you know, Henry Ford or, you know, whoever is, is, the, um, is the genius behind what you have. If you have an iPhone or whatever, you know, Steve Jobs, that'd be a miracle. You would want Steve Jobs to say, this is how that works. Um, so God knows how to work this universe because he made it. Now, at some point, it's a matter of faith. And if the professor says, I don't believe it because I, then that's a choice that that professor is making. But the professor is out on a limb when she or he is saying, um, I know for a fact that that can't happen because the professor doesn't know for a fact. Okay, um, does that, anybody have anything to add to that? That's okay. Um, the rich man and Lazarus. Yes. It's a perfect example. See, that's it. Jesus told this story, rich man and Lazarus. The rich man was all selfish when he was alive. Lazarus was a beggar at the rich man's gates, and the rich man always ignored him. They both died. The rich man uh, went to what we would now describe as hell, uh, you know, an existence separated from his heaven, uh, referred to as the arms of Abraham in, in uh, the Bible. And he said, the, the rich man, here's the deal. The rich man who didn't believe in God was still complaining about life after even in hell. It's too hot here. That's what he says. It's too hot. I need some water. Now, send that poor man to cool my tongue. He was giving orders even as he was being tortured in hell. You see, people's personalities remain intact. Even in hell, they're not all of a sudden going to go, oh my gosh, Jesus Christ was the Savior all along. No, they say, it's hot. Send somebody to cool my tongue. Um, and you say, and God just sort of says, turn up the heat. No, he didn't do that. I'm kidding. He doesn't do that. He says, he's, he's, he's loving even in his response. He says, you know, you had you had all of this t opportunity. Why are you just saying this? Why are you still, you know, acting like this? And he said, well, at least God send uh, a miraculous, you know, uh, resurrected prophet to preach to my brothers so they won't have to end up here. In other words, he says, treat my family with, with um, you know, special consideration. Clueless. He thinks he deserves the best, you know. And he's in this like one star hotel in hell, uh, and he thinks you know his family deserves uh, you know the five five star. But um, God says they're not going to believe if they don't believe the scriptures. They're not going to believe a miracle happening. So you know that's exactly right. All right, um, let's let's go with this question. How can we how can we incorporate? 
okay. Uh, how can we incorporate more awareness of the international church and bring about ecumenicalism? You know what ecumenicalism is? That is a, a, a get, gathering together of the worldwide church. Um, I would say, yes. It means all Christian, all, all the, the church. It is not interfaith. It is ecumenical. It is uh, ecumenicalism means the whole church all over the world being unified. Catholics, Protestants, you know, whatever. Um, first of all, uh, we have to say, do I participate in the divisions? Am I spreading rumors about other denominations? Am I saying, am I dissing over here, railing against uh, Seventh-day Adventists or, you know, Church of Christ or, you know, whatever, or Baptists or whatever it is? Um, and I think we have, we all bear a part in that. We have to say, what is my attitude? What about the African church, you know, uh, the, the um, Anglican church in Africa or uh what about the Greek Orthodox Church, you know, or what about the Russian Orthodox Church? Are, are we, do we even think globally in that way? Um, the moment that we begin to believe we're right uh, and we're specially favored and too bad for everybody else is the moment that we have said, is the moment that it becomes impossible. Is it important for the church to be unified across the world? I mean, let's. that question assumes that it is important, but is it? I'm asking you, is it important and why? Back up your answer with a number two lead pencil. No. Um, is it important and why for the church to be unified across the world? Why? Uh, yeah. And it's it's through our unity that we are known or should be known. Yeah. But unfortunately, one of our greatest hypocritical hypocritical what am I trying to say? Hypocritical. You know, if we if we cannot love our brother whom we have seen, how can we love God whom we have not seen? So, a, a question: How can we unify the church and and for it to be a positive witness of God's presence in the world? Has to begin with how unified do I want to be? How unified do I want to be? And by the way, if we can't even be unified with people in this room, yeah, good luck with that. Um, and I'm talking to myself, you know, too. It's just, it's, it's difficult. Um, how should we treat, here's a question that came in on Slido. How should we treat those other believers when other believers around us automatically condemn and show hatred towards them? How should we treat those 
in the LGBT community when other believers around us automatically condemn and show hatred towards them. Um, <clears throat> what, what is it that a person needs to do for us to be able to love that person? Hmm? What is it that a person needs to do in order to receive love from you? It should be nothing. Is it nothing? <laughs> if we're nice to those who are nice to us, then great is our reward in heaven. No, that's not how that works. Um, well, that was my next question. What does love actually look like? <clears throat> I can say, I can, I, you know, I can film a little public service announcement, and I can say, <clears throat> "Hello, I want to speak to all in the." LGBTQ community, of which I am not one, by the way. You know, this is in my public service announcement. I am straight. Just wanted to get that out there. Because um, I'm a Christian. and But I want to say to all in the LGBT community that you're welcome to our church anytime. We meet at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Hope to see you there. And I've said... And I could say, after, you know, after that public service, I could say, one, I proclaimed that I'm straight, so I'm, I'm good. Two, I said, you're invited to our church. And three, I gave them the time of, you know, when our church meets. Now, is, if, I've, if I've said I've opened, I've opened hospitality wide, have I done that? in that public service announcement? Have I really been hospitable in that public service announcement? Let me say that public service announcement again. Hi, of the LGBTQ community. Um, I want to say, first of all, that I'm straight. So I'm a Christian and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm straight and I want to get that out there. And I want to reach across the aisle and say, you're welcome to our church anytime. We meet at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Hope to see you there. Ha what do you hear when you hear that public service announcement? Okay. But is it, I mean, don't we, don't we preach that? that you can you have to be straight before you can come to God. Do we? Is that what we say? It, the church in general. This church is perfect. So we're not we're not This church is far from perfect. The, just just in our society of 
you know, Christianity, Western Christianity. Yeah. We, we've told them it's at 11 o'clock. We've told them. Yeah, us and them. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, we've separated and yes, exactly. Wait, hang, hang on. Uh, yeah, Kevin, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, let me just say r real quick here. I have, <clears throat> let me tell you about a friend of mine who, who went to, who was a, a member of this church he was in the college ministry of this church all the time that he was at St. Uh, not St. Mary's. He was at uh, Trinity. He was at Trinity University here. And all of his four years at Trinity, he was in this church. He was a very active part of the college ministry, and he was a great leader and a great thinker, just a wonderful man. It still is. Um, after he graduated, he went to... Um, he ended up going to grad school, and now he's uh, teaching government at a school in Illinois. Uh, but <clears throat> about two years after he graduated, about two or three years after he graduated, he came to me and he said, I want you to know something. I am gay. And I said, okay, well, that that's a surprise to hear. Um, and he said, but I want, I want you to know that I'm not ready for that to be widely known yet. I still haven't really told all the members of my family. And we spent a long time, you know, through the next uh, year or so off and on talking about all of that. Um, what he did, uh, where, he, where, he, where he now... Um, lives his life uh, inwardly is that he has not turned away from Christ. He has not turned away from the Bible. In fact, my friend Thomas believes that <clears throat> serious things about sexuality. In fact, Thomas says that um, it is so important that we, that we, that we risk downplaying it. He says often people who uh, he has met uh, who who are also gay say, you know, you you certainly can't believe the Bible anymore or what the Bible teaches about sex, or you can't believe how it's been interpreted anymore. Uh, these folks would say to him um, and do say to him, uh, the Bible actually has been misinterpreted and. Uh, we believe that it is okay to engage in any kind of sexual expression 
as long as it is between two committed persons. And then, so that's what he's hearing on one side, and, and a lot of these folks are in sort of what they call affirming churches. On the other side, Thomas is hearing people say, you are a sinner, and if you can't become ungay, then you are completely sinning before God. Um, if you, as long as you have homosexual desires, you're, you're a sinner and you're apart from God. And he says he hears both of these. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to live faithfully. Here's what he means by that. He believes very strongly that the Bible teaches that God made a man and a woman and sexual expression is uh, for procreation, that is, the making of a child. Um, and it is for the in building of intimacy between that man and the woman so that the child can have a stable home. And it is for pleasure between that man and the woman so that, that, so that the man and the woman can build trust with each other so that the child can grow up in a stable, trusting home. So procreation, intimacy, and trust. And he says those three strands cannot be pulled apart without some major problems. But remember, he is gay. And so he's not going to marry and have sex with a woman. So what does he do? You know what he's done? Can any of you guess what he's done? He says, I'm going to live a life of celibacy. I'm going to give what were otherwise my sexual energies. I'm going to continue to seek how God can transform those energies into service to him instead of sexual expression. Because I, he's about sex. Now, some might disagree with him, and some do, and say, as long as he still has those desires, he's a sinner. But he says, <clears throat> what he says is, we all have desires. And when he said this, I, I was reminded of the fact that I, as a straight male, remember my public service announcement, um, I have sexual desires that are improper from time to time. I face sexual temptation. And sometimes I, I throughout my life, I've had sexual desires that are improper. Does that mean that I need to pray that God would make me not straight so that I wouldn't have those sexual desires? Well, that, well now wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. Um, the, the point is that wherever you are on, on the sexuality spectrum, you're going to struggle with desire. This is Thomas's point. And our job is to disciple our sexual desires to God not to give in to them and just become what we desire. Desire is not destiny. You do. It could be sexually, it could be um, relationally, you know, at work. You could desire power. You could desire authority over other people. You could desire wealth. You can desire to um, get back at somebody. But if you gave in to every desire, that's when you would be a slave to desire. It's your desires 
It's, it's your desires that need to be uh, discipled to God. So, uh, again, we, we have, there's a lot to discuss and to talk about here. All we know is, at this point, that this person, Thomas, and I have other friends who uh, are very much in the same vein as, as Thomas in how they try to live their lives, um, and they've taught me a lot about desire and about how I need to bring those to God. All I know is that he is attempting to live by what desires, and he is, he is saying, what I desire is not my master. Christ is my master, and I must live faithfully. So if we approach, my, and we've had Thomas here as a guest at Midweek in the City, talking about his own self-understanding, his journey, and we'll have him back at some point. But, And again, pe- some people disagree, but w- I think if we were to approach the LGBT community with, with this sense of um, what's important is that we become disciples of Christ and we live the way that the Bible teaches us to live. We live in a very faithful way in the way that we express ourselves sexually, which the historic Orthodox Christianity makes very clear about the purpose of sex. It's only uh, we who have tried to say, well, we can use sex in any way that we want. Uh, That's not what the Bible teaches. And Thomas is holding true to that. What he is not doing is he's not trying to say, therefore, I am... um, going to uh, change uh, my uh, you know my pattern of feeling desires he, he doesn't try that's my continual uh, journey towards uh, being discipled to Christ and he's he's attempting to live that out faithfully uh, yes Kevin you had something to add Yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. And and by the way, I'm I am. Um, if you want to talk more about this with me, I, I I absolutely would love to do that because I I'll tell you it's something that people all around us struggle with all the time. Uh, sexuality, straight or gay or whatever. Uh, people, this is a this is an area of great pain, great heavy pain. And if you're not talking about it with somebody, you're going to continue to suffer. That's not the life Christ has for you. So uh, please, let's talk to talk with you about that. Um, not in order to, to change your mind. I, I'm just saying, I, let's, let's talk because we need to be talking about these things. Um, <clears throat> do you believe that the Bible is a word-for-word account of what has happened? Yes, 
Okay. Um, how can God... No, I, I do. Uh, does anybody, anybody want to add anything to that? Yes? I'm not worried. I'm not scared. I'm not trembling. Richard is. Go ahead. What? Yes. I've heard two things. One, is the Bible true? Yes. Uh, I will say the Bible is true 100%. Yes. I also heard, is the Bible literal in every sense of the word? Mm hmm. I will, what I want to ask is, do you believe that every sense that the Bible is trying to speak literally? Is it trying to speak truth via metaphor? Is it trying to speak truth via symbolism? Yes. Yes, yes, all of the above. Before you um, burn me on a stake and say, uh, when you and you're hearing the Bible isn't literally true, why I'm saying is what the Bible preaches. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Get the gasoline, please. Um, no, I do agree with that. I will say, yes, the Bible sometimes does use metaphor. When the Bible says God walked in the garden, do we believe that God has legs? I'm, I'm, no, I'm really asking. No, and see, that's the thing. Je Jesus tells us that God is spirit. Now, Jesus Christ has legs and hands, you know, and a beating heart. Does, but God doesn't have a body. God is spirit. And so that very thing is metaphorical. Um, so... And there, there are many things like that. Do I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? No, he was swallowed by a fish. That's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say whale; it says fish. Um, but that's our taxonomical, you know, sort of modern science. There, I do believe he was swallowed by a sea creature. Absolutely, I do. Can you imagine how bleached his skin was after he was spit up on the land? Can you can you imagine that? The digestive juices, you know, having... Okay, all right, all right. But that's Jonah. Um, and a Noah and a... I do. I do believe that. And I, I, I believe those stories have great power uh, for us because they have a historical basis. Do I believe that God created the heavens and the earth? You better believe I do. Do I believe that the each day was 24 hours? I, I, I don't... I don't know about that. I, you know, morning and evening was a day. Um, I, I don't think it's necessary for us to believe in a 24-hour day. You know why? Because it said that before there was even a sun. So we reckon the day by the sun. So, uh, I mean, read the order of the account. But God created the heavens and the earth. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it. He spoke it into being. I don't know how he did it. But... Uh, do I believe that Jesus Christ is literally God? Absolutely, I do, because I, I believe that, that it, it, is, it takes a God to save the human race. Do I believe that Jesus Christ was literally a human being? Yes, not only was, but is. The Bible doesn't say he stopped being a human being when he ascended. He is the God-man still. And when we see him again, we will see him in his physical form. Um, 
Jesus Christ, 100% divine, 100% human. Uh, you know, do I believe that um, the devil is real? I know the devil is real. He's kicked me in the gut more times than I care to remember. He's real. Um, so I, I think I think what you're saying, Judson, is that we have to be careful about how we read the Bible. In other words, when it says Jesus ascended to the Father, does that mean he blasted off from earth and went up through the stratosphere and out into the Van Allen radiation belts and further and further until he got to the moon? And then, no. Is heaven above our heads? If so, what happens to the people in Australia? I mean, that's all, it's all weird. Uh, so we... We, um, we have to be careful how we read the Bible. We have to read it with utmost reverence, and we can't bring our own notions of what is true into the Bible. That's called, the fancy word for that, it's called eisegesis. When, eisegesis, when we read into the Bible things that we think ought to be there. We have to take the Bible on its own terms. Andrew. Here's how I would answer that. I do believe there was a literal ascension. Now, let me just say this. <clears throat> when we say, I've moved to a higher grade in school, do we mean that, do I mean that I've moved to the second floor of my school? Or do I mean that I've moved to the fourth grade from the third grade? Higher also often means greater and uh, more uh, advanced, and so forth. And so when, when we talk of ascension, we, we say Jesus moved to a higher plane. He moved into the spiritual realm. And the way that the prophets, and often the Old, the Old Testament, and certainly the New Testament writers, understood the spiritual realm is that there was a veil that separated um, this realm from the, from the spirit, and they could see through it, and they could see visions of God and so forth. I believe that when it said it says Jesus ascended, he, he absolutely could have, you know, been floated up from the earth, absolutely. I think that that's our modern notion of what it means. I think that uh, ascension means that uh, in, in the... Um, ancient uh, understanding of the biblical writers would mean that, that the veil would grow very thin and Jesus would become less and less visible to them as he moved into that higher plane of existence and then, it would, and then they would see nothing there. Now it says that they were looking up into the clouds, so uh, in some accounts it does. So there, there may be, there, there may, be, may have been clouds that, that came and sort of obscured their vision or it could have been a, a rising, but but it of some type. But the the point is that what they were 
how they understood it is that there was this veil of separation that sometimes grew thin and Jesus would become less visible. And the Bible talks about when, when it, one of its favorite words for the coming of Christ, it says, when he appears. And that's a notion of Jesus, that veil growing thin again and being pulled that we could not see before. The invisible world um, that, that one day we will see and heaven and earth will be one. And we, the, the, it's like the curtain will be drawn back and Jesus will appear. It never says Jesus will, will um, come. It doesn't say that he will land on earth again. It says that he will appear. And so we just we have to give a little leeway there. Again, yes, he could have floated up. I have no quarrel with that because whether he, whether he did that or not, what he was doing was he was going into this realm that we cannot now see. So, and that's the more important uh, definition of ascension, I think, is going to the higher realm. Yes, what, Judson? That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And we cannot see him, but we, we believe in him, but we have the spirit of God now uh, who dwells with us. Thank God. Does somebody have something back here? Yes, Levi. I can I can recommend a couple of commentaries for you if you, if you talk to me later. So um, <clears throat> that's a great question. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh huh. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of the translation thing, the miracle is that the Bible has been so well cared for over these millennia. Um, think about it. it we, have, we have access to very, very ancient manuscripts. And what, has ha what we've come to know is the Dead Sea Scrolls and so forth. What, what has happened is we now know they say pretty much the same thing you know, as, as our translations now. And that's amazing is, here's how God made this kind of thing to work. He says, if it's up to one person to translate it, be very afraid of that. Run from that. But in community, that's why the best translations are done by groups of people working together because they say, no, I don't think that's quite right. And they push back and they kind of shape each other's understanding. And then we have these amazing translations. Uh, there is a translation called the New World Translation that is done by like five people. 
and it's, I would not recommend it. Um, there is a sect, a religious sect that uses that, it's the Jehovah's Witness uh, sect. Uh, I would not recommend that translation of the Bible. What's that? Um, and so uh, it, it's just amazing that we've got this, this Bible that is so awesomely preserved. And the Bible, and let me just say this, the Bible is, is the written word of God. It is uh, a comfort to those who have lost their way. It's uh, a strength to memorize. It is questions. It's all of those things. But over and above all of that, it's a book of reality, everybody. And it shows us how reality actually works, how reality actually is. And it will lead you into all truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. It will do that. So um, you doubt the Bible at your own peril. Let me just let me say this. You, you disbelieve the Bible at your own peril. Doubt is actually part of your journey, and we'll, we can talk about that later. Doubt is a great place to start because it pushes you to find the truth. It's a terrible place to end up, but it's a good place to start. So if you find yourself wrestling with doubt, that's okay. Just lean in closer. God says, I will be found if you look for me. Um, we have time for just a, a couple more. Now, here's what's going to happen. We, the questions we don't get to, I burn them out here. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the questions we don't get to, I save back for later. Uh, and we'll, we'll revisit these, and we'll have more questions, and so we'll get even further behind on those. So we have this huge backlog of questions. Actually, what I'm thinking about doing is doing a follow-up, uh, like a Facebook post or something in which I just you know, answer the rest of these questions and the best that I can. Um, okay. So I, we're, we're actually going to do one more. Huh? Okay, all right, all right. Um, I, I'll have that up on Facebook uh, sometime later. Oh, I don't know. Next week, y'all. I've got a lot. I've got a lot to do. Um, okay, but I'll have it up in in a few days. Um, and how can God? Okay, uh, we don't have time to. I'll answer these later. Um, okay, here's what I want us to do. The basket, I, that's that's what I'll burn. Um, no, no, I won't. These are precious to me. I will we I will answer all these questions, uh, or I will address them at least. <laughs> that's right. Um, you're right. Okay. Here's what. Here's how we normally close out midweek in the city. Uh, we gather. We we sit. You know, we're seated seated at these tables, and. Um, as if you can take just a few minutes, um, share with each other briefly what you need prayer for, and let's pray for one another around these tables, and then call it a night. Okay, that's how we end every midweek in the city. And I want to tell you, if you will come, so enjoyed um, this time with you because this helps me. I mean, this is. It's probably you probably do more for me than than anything in the world, and I I just 
being your presence is a sacred thing, and I, I take it very seriously. If you will come back uh, next week, we will uh, talk about some more very heavy pressing matters. I'm hopeful that we'll have a, a guest that we're, we're trying to work that out uh, who is an expert in on the political scene so that we can uh, really address some of these matters that are really weighing heavy on our nation, okay? And so um, come back and, and add your energy and your voice. You're the one who makes Midweek in the City go. You're the, you're the brains behind this, okay? The more minds we have around this table, the better off we are. Pray for one another, and we'll call it a night, everybody, okay? Thanks.